I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for TGIF April 28th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. As Italy gears up to build what would be the world's longest suspension bridge to connect Sicily to the mainland, very exciting, I'm a big bridge fan, we thought we'd take a moment to appreciate some of the great Canadian bridges, like New Brunswick's Heartland Bridge, the longest covered bridge, and PEI's Confederation Bridge, which is the longest bridge crossing over ice-covered water. Water. Jay, do you have a favorite bridge? Is it the... Well, I'll just leave it there. Your favorite <laughs> I do I have a favorite bridge. I Often crossing into sort of Buffalo and Niagara Falls. I think the Peace Bridge is beautiful, beautiful. And it's so aptly named and sort of heartwarming, I guess, that there are peaceful land crossings or bridge crossings, in this case, between Canada and the US. So I like that. But I'm also a quasi-Bay Area native. So I am partial to the Golden Gate Bridge, the Bridge of All Bridges. Well, yeah. Where do you start? There's so many great bridges in the world. You know, look, there's one There's one they're building right now. There's the Gordie Howe Bridge to Detroit from yeah. Windsor. There, you know, one of the coolest bridges that I went on was this long suspension bridge, which connects Hong Kong Airport to Hong Kong Island, or I guess to Kowloon. And that was a cool bridge. And it was cool because you're on the train and it's like, I don't know, it looks cool. So that's my favorite bridge. Fred, have you heard about the London Bridge? Well, I heard it's falling down. <laughs> Aside from the London <laughs> Bridge falling down, what do we have for Peak Pals on this Friday? A good setup. For our first story, <laughs> more regional banks in trouble. For our second story, Hydro-Quebec is overloaded. And for our last story, commercial real estate <laughs> For our first story, since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, it's been tough sledding for U.S. regional banks, and investors worry that First Republic could be the next to fall. Are we really talking about banking on this Friday, Brett? What's the latest? Yeah, banks are back, but not in a good way. Faced with a deposit crunch not unlike SVB's in March, the lender is struggling to find buyers for its assets to close the hole in its balance sheet. To keep the lights on, it's counting on other banks stepping up for the greater good of the system. First Republic is basically trying to convince banks to buy its assets at a loss to avoid the larger FDIC fees that would be imposed on them if they were to fail, as SVB did. The bank could also restore its deposit base through government intervention, but for now, regulators are holding back to give the private sector time to just figure it all out. Now, to catch you up, the bank's shares are down 96% this year. They briefly stabilized after 11 big American banks offered up 30 billion US dollars to help boast of the bank's deposit base, but kept on falling after the lender confirmed customers pulled over 40% of total deposits last quarter Alone. Customers worry balances over $250,000, which represents 68% of its deposits, will not be covered by deposit insurance if the bank fails. Though all of SVB's depositors, if you're a long-time listener of the pod, remember that they were made whole. While this is not likely to lead to a full-blown crisis that can take down large banking players, medium-sized U.S. banks are at risk. One study found that if half of all uninsured depositors pulled their money, 190 banks would ultimately be left with more liabilities than they had assets. The bottom line is, whatever happens to First Republic, will ripple through the rest of the banking system per Axios. If the bank is allowed to fail in a chaotic way, that could nudge depositors with uninsured funds and other regional banks to take their money and run. For our second story, like a university student with a full course load, Hydro-Quebec has taken on too much and is running low on energy, literally. Let's dig into this because we all do kind of depend on Hydro-Quebec in one way or another. We certainly do. Hydro-Quebec, Canada's largest hydroelectric utility, is facing the fact that it soon won't be able to produce enough electricity to meet commitments to foreign and corporate buyers while also powering the province towards its carbon-neutral goals. And this is all happening because since HQ, Hydro-Quebec, provides electricity that is cheap and clean, both factors that have grown increasingly important, it's recently found itself with lots of clients, from big companies like GM and Amazon to U.S. states like New York and your home state, Jay, of Massachusetts. Big up for Massachusetts. Hydro-Quebec posted a record $3.4 billion in 
profit last year, thanks in large part to the surge in US exports, but is now a quote unquote victim of its own success per one energy policy expert. And, and it all matters because HQ has spread itself too thin between its commitments to nearby jurisdictions, corporate giants, and of course, Quebecers. Ladder Group is upset, asked to conserve energy while already experiencing multiple mass outages this year. I think you'd be upset too, Brett. HQ's reliability has steadily deteriorated in recent years, with outages becoming more frequent and longer, per a recent report from Quebec's Auditor General. Next, to have any chance of meeting increased demand, HQ likely must build more dams to cultivate hydropower in addition to updating equipment and expanding wind energy. Yes, but ask any beaver, building dams is no easy task, and building them in Quebec is especially complex and expensive since the best rivers in the province have already been dammed. Damn. Dam building also emits loads of greenhouse gases, which could upset activists. And to zoom out, a study from Polytechnic Montreal found that Quebec isn't alone. Most provinces in central and eastern Canada are at risk of failing to meet electricity demands as by 2030 as electric vehicle use increases and buildings aim to decarbonize heating. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess. <laughs> See what I did there? That was a good anyway. For our third and final story, is commercial real estate the next domino to fall in our creaking global economy? A growing number of signs point to very possibly? So here's what's driving the news. A batch of new data paints a picture of a commercial real estate market, urban offices in particular, under extreme stress in cities around the world. In Europe, commercial real estate prices are down 20% in the past year, and deal making has fallen to an 11-year low, a sign that lenders and investors are backing away from the space. In the US, the office vacancy rate has reached a record high of 12.9%. And Morgan Stanley predicts that office and retail property valuations will crater by as much as 40%. In Canada, office vacancies are even higher at 17.7%. In Toronto, the vacancy rate is 19%, the highest ever recorded, and more than quadruple the level immediately before the pandemic. Commercial real estate is facing a perfect storm of headwinds. Higher interest rates have pushed property values, pushed down property values, and raised the cost for landlords to borrow money, while the persistence of remote work is causing companies to abandon or downsize offices. That's trickling down to other sectors of the commercial real estate market like retail. With fewer people coming into offices, retail businesses in downtown cores have suffered and demand for space so in theirs have really dried up. It matters because a major downturn in commercial real estate would be bad news for banks and investors who are commercial landlords chief lenders, but likely not life ending. They'll take losses if property owners can't pay their debts, but in Canada office properties only account for 2% of the big bank's loan portfolio, hardly enough to cause a banking crisis. Like the one we were talking about earlier. The bigger risk may be to the whole economy. Commercial real estate is often a reliable driver of growth coming out of a recession as companies staff up and downturns boom. That's likely not to be the case in this cycle. And if we do go into a recession, our recovery can be slower as a result. Peak Palace, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. Thank you, Brett. Have a good weekend, Peak Pals. And I'll give a double shout out today. Go Leafs, go. Go Leafs, go. Yeah. And go Marley's as well. Sure. Let's <laughs> throw them in. Throw them right in there. <laughs> Brett, have a good weekend. You too, Jay. When you give me shot, when you give me shot.